0: Welcome to This Fundraising Life, a podcast about much more than just the numbers. I'm Heather Yando, a fundraising expert and the creator of the Individual Donor Benchmark Project. Today's guest is Brooke Battle, the founder of Swell, an event fundraising tool. I hope you enjoy our wide ranging conversation about how to choose events, the mistakes to avoid, and what trends she sees in event fundraising. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us on This Fundraising Life to talk about events. Thank you, Heather. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. Um, Events are one of those pieces that many people include in their fundraising mix. And I'm curious how you see events fitting into kind of our big category of individual donor fundraising.
1: Sure. Um, thanks for the chance to talk about events. As, um, as we discussed, I'm maybe one of the few people that still continue to be a big fan of events. So, um, <laughs> And that's because of its impact on individual donors for nonprofits. And in my experience, I've seen events transform the fund development strategy of a nonprofit. Because if you think about it, There are kind of three different types of events. There's the thank you event, which is important. Then there's the donor retention event, which again is is a little bit like a thank you. But then there's donor acquisition. And we see events as a critical piece of your donor acquisition model and the fund development strategy of an organization. And events, we think that nonprofits sometimes intuitively throw an event. They don't realize it's for donor acquisition, but they kind of wake up one day and go, well, we need an event, which when really I think if they were thinking about it, they would be saying we need to cultivate some new donors. Mm. And so that's where these events come from. And sometimes there's just not as much strategic thought around it, but we believe their donor acquisition. I've I've worked with a client that has attracted more than a thousand new donors into their organization just because of one single event.
0: Wow. And... Can you give us a little hint? What what was that event? How did they get those thousand dollar thousand donors in the door?
1: Sure. Um, this was a relatively small. It's a it was a three hundred thousand dollar total revenue organization, the Women's Fund of Greater Birmingham. And what they did is they threw an event. They very much wanted to target a younger audience. It had an aging donor pool, and they wanted to target a younger audience. And strategically did that through an event called a smart party. And and through that event, it included peer to peer fundraising alongside really high energy cocktail party. And what they found is, is that they not only could bring in 300 to 500 people each year during that event, but that that event on its own would bring in an additional 200 to 250 donors online and that's how they've brought in a thousand new donors into that organization so I love that story because it's a medium-sized nonprofit it had three staff members and so I'm not talking about you know, a large a large enterprise organization it is a it's a thinly staffed but very well run but thinly staffed medium-sized nonprofit and they've brought in a thousand new donors who fit that category and so for them it really has transformed their fundraising as they're able to move some of their board members and strategically donors up the giving triangle toward planned gifts, more strategic gifts, and allow that event to really churn in and bring in a lot of 35-year-old and 40-year-old donors into that organization. And then hopefully they cultivate them and thanks to your reports, cultivate 60% of them to continue to give You know, once they've come in the door through that event.
0: Well, you mentioned the 60% retention rate, which is one of the things I think it makes it so important to be really strategic about what kind of event you're having every year. Yes. If you're losing 40% of your donors, you have to have some strategies for donor acquisition and a well-planned event could be that strategy.
1: That's true. We see that. That's true.
0: Well, thanks for outlining those three categories. Thank you events, donor retention events, and donor acquisition events. I think being able to be clear about why you're doing an event can be really, really helpful.
1: It is. And the thing that's important about that is to not muddle them we see clients will try to throw a thank you at an event with the hope of it being an acquisition event. And then when it doesn't turn out to be that are disappointed, you know, so it's really important to have a clear sense of purpose about what your event is attempting to achieve. And I guess I wanted to say, you know, outside of external variables that can cause people to give to a nonprofit for the first time, events are one of those ways. It's a great excuse for someone to to learn about an organization and to give for the first time. And events provide that cover for your donor base to ask someone to give and to bring in those donors. But you're right, it's important to recognize the purpose of the event and to measure it according to that purpose and be pleased with
0: it. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think you're, you're starting already to kind of sell me on events. I'm, I'm somebody who has thrown a lot of events. And I still find myself sometimes being wary or talking other people out of doing an event. So why do you love events? Why do you believe they're so powerful?
1: Sure. Uh, And of course, there are a lot of work and events are overwhelming to nonprofits, particularly because so many do it in a kind of a DIY sort of way, and and they're overwhelming. Events are their own expertise, and, and they can overwhelm someone very quickly. So that's one reason I think that nonprofits have this sort of love-hate with events. And when we do workshops for nonprofits, I ask the question, how many people love their event? And then I ask how many people hate their event, and hands go up until we do the following. And then when I start to ask them how they measure their event, and this is where they become so powerful, powerful. And once organizations start to look at that event for what it's bringing into the organization and the value that it's bringing in, then that hard work feels different. And so what I try to point out then, and I was going to do it here, is that we call them event fundraisers, and we're only evaluating events by the top line revenue. so So often I'll ask a group of nonprofits, how do you evaluate your event? And they'll say revenue. Well, That makes sense, except that that event is really intended to do a lot of other things. It's intended to bring in new donors. It's intended to raise awareness. And if a nonprofit begins to measure the event based on all of those variables, not just that one top line number, plus their expenses, they'll they'll net the expenses out and measure it based on that. And so if they start to add other measurement tools into that event that event becomes a much more fun experience for that staff to put on. And so we try to have them to reimagine what that event can do for them. And one way to do that is to think about the for-profit community. The for-profit community spends millions and millions of dollars on events, with no fundraising component. And so as nonprofits, you think, why in the world do they love events if we don't love events and we get to fundraise at our events? And that's because they see, they measure those things. They, they know that corporate events boost their brand awareness. They acquire new customers, help them retain a core base of customers, and they raise awareness and they measure their events on those tools. And therefore, those companies are more pleased by that event activity. And the nonprofit community can learn a lot from that.
0: So let's say you were successful in talking me into starting a new event for my organization. How would you help me think about what type of event I might want to start?
1: Sure. Well, the first thing we would talk about is why, not what. And that is so often the trap that events and nonprofits fall into is they sit around and say, gosh, what can we do? What kind of event can we do? And they start looking at event concepts and Mm -hmm. and ideas. Well, I saw this nonprofit do this and it's really fun and this. And they start going in all these different directions before sitting down and saying, what are we trying to accomplish? And it is, it can be any of the following, you know, new donors, are they younger? Do you want older donors? Do you want a geographic focus? Has your nonprofit changed in some way where you've maybe incorporated into a new area, which is happening more and more as nonprofits become more regional, you know, in their approach? So is there a geographic group that you want to bring in? What do you want that event to say about your brand identity? I've, I've witnessed events literally transform the brand identity of an organization and to, and to shift the way uh, that organization is viewed in the market based on the event that they do. And the flip side of that. We've worked with a, a group of people that threw a beer festival. And while that beer festival was, was successful, it really didn't do anything. And in fact, in some ways you could argue that it really deterred from what they were trying to talk about in terms of their mission. So it's really important to first do that, then build the event and decide what the concept needs to be. But even before you build that event concept... Build the people first. And we we really encourage all of our nonprofit clients to think about what they want to accomplish and then build an event committee that reflects what they want to accomplish, because that's where success for an event starts with the people that are your core seed for that event. And whether they help you establish the concept for your event or whether you bring the concept to them and, and, and make sure it lands well, then you're off to success and measure those goals based on what you've set. Hmm. I, but I forgot. I, I'm sorry. I forgot the most important part, though. Yes. You have to have fun. (laughs) Events have to be fun. When they are work, and when you act like they are work and are not fun, then no one around you wants to come to that event. And so at their core, they need to be fun. And we we always try to get back to that with our clients. Like, have fun.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If your event isn't fun, if you are not having fun, then the people who come are likely not to have fun either. (laughs)
1: No one's having fun, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's where staff leadership is so critical. I, I recently met with uh, now a new a new client actually of Swell. In the sales process, I heard some things that were. I guess we'll just say a little negative about the event that they would that we would be working with. And she voiced her aversion to technology. And it was clear that this director wasn't the person that was going to be working with the technology very closely. It was going to be the younger people in her office. And because we were face-to-face, which is unique for us, I was able to look at her and say... I hear you and you don't have to learn the technology if it's not your comfort zone, but I would encourage you to because your leadership on this is going to affect everybody around. And so if you are positive about it and you are positive about your event, then your board, your committees, and everything comes from the top. And it was a really great conversation. And she said, I can see that. I was like, yes, so Mm -hmm. just fake it if you have to, but have fun with it. And everyone around you will too.
0: Mm, That is so important and so uh, often not named when we're thinking about events. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I really appreciate your advice of starting with the goal and really figuring out why are you doing this before you figure out what you're doing. I think that's great advice for uh, many, many aspects of fundraising, but certainly an event makes it even
1: more powerful. True, true. Well, one thing that people um, think nonprofits forget is that an event is often the only visible activity that a donor sees of your nonprofit. We tell our donors about all the good work we do. We tell them that we're innovative. We tell them that we conserve. We use all of these words that relate to our program area. But so often, those donors never really get to see us in action. And the one thing they see is your event. And it's a huge opportunity to show off your culture, to show off your brand, to showcase how you do things. And so that's one reason that I think they can quickly change your identity as well, but they also can reinforce. And so, um, but I think we forget sometimes that how visible events can be and thus how important they are to both retaining and acquiring donors.
0: Absolutely. They're so powerful. So if you do have a new idea, uh, you're thinking about starting a new fundraiser for your organization. What are some of the hurdles that you've seen uh, for getting a new idea moving forward?
1: Oh yes, <laughs> for those people listening, you're probably rolling your eyes. There, there are a lot of hurdles to change. I mean, the the culture of nonprofits, unfortunately, is one where. As staff and and those who work with nonprofit organizations, we aren't really rewarded for adopting change in the same way that the for-profit community is. You know, when, when an idea works, it's your board's idea, right? When an ideal does not work, it's yours. <laughs> so I do feel like the staff of nonprofits take on take on some risk there, in that they are rewarded for bringing on change. And I wish that was something that I were in a position to help nonprofits as a as an industry take on, because it's so important in what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, we nonprofits that we work with are trying to at least alleviate or solve some of our world's most intractable problems, and yet they aren't empowered to to be as innovative as they might need to be in order to do that. And so we see that a lot. So a couple things, you know, that I see happen. One, if as a staff person of a nonprofit, you might be naturally a person who is averse to change. And I would assume most people have, you've had all the personality tests that the rest of us have had, you know, if you were a change person or not. If you are not a person who is inclined toward change, then put yourself in the way of someone who is and help them, have them challenge you so that, um, and someone you trust to do that, knowing that it's right for your cause and right for your organization and to acknowledge that weakness in ourselves and to try to get past that for the organization. And then once you do that, you get to come to the next hurdle, which is the harder one. And it's always the board or a volunteer that's really outspoken. We, we all have, we call it that volunteer who just wants to do it the same way they've always done it. And I do not want to in any way underestimate how hard it is to look one of those vo- volunteer board members in the eye or a committee member and to try to adjust their perspective. Um, but here's some tips. The first thing we would say to do is to seek out, recognize that you're, you may have a problem with someone not wanting to change and then seek out another person in your organization appear uh, uh, in the, of that person or of that group and seek them out. and. Talk to them about why you need to make this change. What you know, what it will accomplish for your organization, and have the proposal and have them either back you up and be ready to back you up in a meeting on the change, or for them to be the one verbalizing it as well. And so, and we encourage our, our nonprofit clients to look for the change agents within their volunteer base. And we always say it's the person who's got the latest device in their pocket. Mm. It's the one who's actively on social media. You know, I've seen eighty year olds walk into a fundraising event with their Instagram up, ready to go. So that's who you're looking for <laughs> in your nonprofit to say, I need to do this. There are early adopters in your older crowd, and I would look for that person and tell them what you're trying to accomplish and get them on board and use them to help you influence some of the, those that might present hurdles to you um, going forward. And then worst case scenario, sometimes you just have to recognize that it's the right thing for your organization and make a hard decision.
0: Absolutely. You might not always be able to bring everyone along.
1: No, you, it is. That is the messy part of working with nonprofits. Is that, gosh, that that endless tug of war between wanting everyone to be happy and yet trying to run a very sophisticated organization. The benefit of for profit is that we know we're not going to make everyone happy. I know we, I, can, I know that, you know. Uh, but in the nonprofit space, for some reason, we carry that as if we are in the business of making everyone around our organization feel happy too. And that's a huge burden to bear, and um, and it's really impossible.
0: So I think we've already started to talk a little bit about some of the mistakes you've seen people make in event fundraising. And I think we could probably spend a whole other podcast just on mistakes. But what would you say are some of the bigger mistakes that folks make and how can we avoid them?
1: Well, and I think that one of the hard parts about events, and I mentioned it earlier, is it so visible? And one of the things I realized early on in developing this software is everyone I work with is stressed out. And at first I felt really overwhelmed by that. Like, why in the world have I picked an industry where all my clients are stressed out? (laughs) You know, and so then we just tried to recast our role as recognizing all our clients are stressed out. Let's try to help them out. But it's stressful because it's so visible. And so any mistake you feel like is so visible. And so the first thing that I would say um, that is the biggest mistake that nonprofits make with their events is elevating the small things that no one will notice into being big things and therefore then missing the, the big idea because they get caught up in so many small issues that they worry about. That's a tough thing to recognize because here's why. Nonprofit professionals try to do it all themselves mm-hmm. or or with free in-kind labor. We all think that we can plan an event ourselves. And so often with events, we reward ourselves by how much we've saved. Gosh, I uh-huh. saved our organization this much. I brought in the expense budget for this event was $20,000 and I did it for nineteen thousand five, And we view that as a success point, but that's really not necessarily success. And so we try to do it all ourselves. And as a result, we end up not being in a position to really fundraise for that event because we're so busy doing so much of the detail ourselves. The second biggest mistake i see nonprofits make is not collecting data. So you can throw the most successful event on the planet, but if you don't have the names of everyone that came and their email addresses, then what have you accomplished? How can you measure that that all important donor acquisition measurement that I talked about in the beginning? And so we see so many people walk in the door where you don't have their names and every person that walks in the door without a name and email attached to them is a huge missed opportunity and it's clear i think that's the reason for doing events. The second is not training your volunteers and coupled with that is not selecting your volunteers well. So the selection and training of volunteers, if you're using them at events, um, I've seen overlooked in a big way. And I always try to say, it's sort of like the Apple store. You walk in and they're all in the same t-shirt. They know what to do. They look you in the eyes. And your experience with Apple is all about that young person that's been trained. And your event is a lot like that too. So mm-hmm. approach it like you would approach an Apple store. The next is shunning technology. I think there's a real fear of using technology in a venue. We've all seen it go wrong. But then I always ask, you know, even when you see the AV at an event go wrong, we all, we've all been there. And so they're really, when I always say, well, what's the worst case scenario? Scenario, You know, and in general, you realize it didn't really impact your opinion of the organizing body as much. But the flip side is what's the upside. And so if you sort of do it at a calculation based on upside versus downside, you would find that using technology at an event is far worth it to do. The other thing that I see nonprofits do is they'll try to tweak an existing event and expect entirely different results. Mm. And that doesn't work. And I have been a part of those. I was a part of an, an, or early on in my experience with Swell. A client came to us and they wanted to convert a thank you event into a fundraising event. And I was new in this and I said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And I learned humbly that guests have a habit And they know when they come to an event, if it's a thank you event or a fundraising event, Uh and it's really hard to change those habits. I'm continuing to go here. I have so many more. (laughs) I have so many of these. The other thing that you guys do is, um, we have a whole blog post on this, and it's, is your organization throwing a party or a fundraiser? And so we so often see nonprofits really throwing parties and not hitting the kinds of goals that you need to hit with your event. And we have some signs of when you're throwing a party versus a fundraiser, so don't throw parties, throw fundraisers or throw thank you events. (laughs) um, And a lot about that is about creating a culture of giving at your event and how important that is to do at at an event. And then finally, no measurements. We see a lot of events where, again, they just aren't measuring whether it was successful or not and, um, and not using anything other than top line revenue as a measure of success when we really believe there are a lot of other wonderful ways of measuring an event and comparing it from year to year.
0: Well, I have to say, Brooke, that I I see myself in many of these, particularly recently, Do It All Ourselves. I totally have have done that. And uh, this party versus fundraiser. I think that's really challenging, especially when you have board or staff that are a little hesitant about being overtly uh, fundraising, about overtly asking for money. So it's easy, to, I feel like, to slip into, let's just throw a really great party and folks will give.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. No. No. You no, have no. to ask them multiple times in multiple <laughs> you know, ways. Probably. probably. Well, and I see that well, oh, we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And my answer is yes. You do. You absolutely do. <laughs> you want <laughs> them to feel like they need to give to you, and they want to give. It's not a negative. Giving to these your organization is a good thing, and philanthropy feels good. So absolutely. Keep that in mind, like, yes, you're creating that slightly uncomfortable moment where, where they feel like they need to give. Or better than that, not even creating that moment, but because your event is, a, is an event where people give, you haven't created it, but because their friends are giving, they feel like they need to give. So it's organic in the event at that point, where it's a giving event. And so as a result, you feel like you need to give too. But at the end of the day, we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We all want to do good in the world. And philanthropy is often the way that any of us can do that. And so think of it as an opportunity to create happiness for a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also tell people, if someone has left their house, they've gotten, you know, dressed, they've gotten a babysitter, they have shown up at your event, they are already giving you a yes. Like they are showing up for you and they are ready to be asked and asked well and thoughtfully, but they are already, you're already on the path towards getting a gift.
1: No doubt. And likely they're pretty sophisticated. Let's just assume, right? They're likely fairly sophisticated individuals on their own. And if they go to an event, they know you have worked hard. They know you have spent resources on it. They know that it is a resource intense type of activity. And so then if you don't actually raise money there, they walk away thinking, I had a really good time, but I'm not so sure about that organization. Uh So it's also about, you know, what it says about the strength of your organization. And I think that's really important. It's the same with negotiation skills. You know, if you interview for a job and part of your job is to be able to negotiate contracts, well, if you don't negotiate your own salary very well going into that job, it's not a very good indicator of your skill set. And it's often very hard to negotiate for yourself. And I think of it, events is the same way. So yeah, you um, it's an indicator of how strong, strong an organization you are.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know you work with many organizations across the country throwing different events. And I'm just wondering if you are seeing any trends in event fundraising these days?
1: Definitely. And it is fun. I have to say we have begun um, to really follow the event planner industry and some of the journals and things that are written in that space, which was really new to me because I have a I'm at my core a nonprofit gal, right? So um, I'm, a, I'm a fundraiser and uh, to be in this event space has been pretty fun. So, but some of the things that we're seeing with related to, to event trends are first, we see micro events popping up, um, little pop-up events that use technology to create reach and that are a little lower on the the staff resources required, but they're more plentiful. So you have Ten of them versus one signature event, and they're little micro events. So um, we see that happening. We see people adapting their galas to a more casual crowd, mm. and and recognizing that people are are more inclined toward this very high end but upscale outdoor type of type of environment. And so that the the trend is really moving away from the. The tuxedo, you know, full length gown type of type of event and moving toward this upscale casual outdoor type of thing, equally as lucrative and expensive. So it's not that they're reducing their ticket prices. It's just that they're they're sort of recognizing this trend toward the farm life, I guess, is really yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah. And they're beautiful too. I see a number of clients acquiring concepts. And, you know, this is one of those topics that I would love to to hear someone talk about. You know, there I've seen the walk a mile in her shoes, a lot of dancing with. the stars concepts, wine, women, and shoes um, is a paid concept. And we see a number of clients acquiring concepts. And I think for the most part, that's good if they have their goals in mind and feel like a concept fits their goal. I, I don't know that I think that most of our clients have done that. I think they they think, oh, it worked there. Let's try it here. It's a little more like throwing something against the wall, mm-hmm. but but acquiring concepts is an interesting topic, and I think one really worth exploring for nonprofits. You don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Look for things that your peers are doing, and um, and we see a lot of that. I do see. Uh, I see clients moving away from the luncheon model because it's viewed as being a little old school Mm -hmm. and uh, younger donors, especially younger women, if they're sort of the luncheon model, younger women are not able to take that same kind of time to go to a two and a half hour luncheon in the middle of the day. So I'm seeing the luncheon model change a bit. And then finally, the integration of technology is is huge for events, particularly if you follow the corporate space. I always think the for-profit space is a good indicator of where we're headed sometimes. And the use of technology, virtual reality, social media integration, it is here and it's important for all of these events to include in some way. So
0: very interesting. I love the idea of the upscale casual event as a replacement for the full length gown gala. I'm much more likely to show up to that event for sure.
1: Well, that you and you are exactly. And I think that's what a lot of nonprofits are recognizing that they can move there. It's hard to do. You know, they really have to recognize who their gala was designed for and the age of those people mm-hmm. and and to strategically move them into a different type of conversation a major gift many times these non- nonprofits have major donors coming to the galas when really you could create a different type of event for that that donor and really probably extract an even larger gift from that donor and then adapt the gala to the younger crowd that you're trying to acquire and cultivate so yeah, those are fun. They're really, they're a lot more fun than the, than the tuxedo full-length gown events.
0: Well, and you are also bringing it back to being really clear about your why. So if your why is all about getting new folks in the door, then throwing this more casual event might be the right way to do it.
1: Oh, totally. And we often will talk to a nonprofit and say, well, how long have you been running this event? And so often they'll say, oh, we've had this luncheon for 20 years. And you're listening to it thinking, what else have, has anything else stayed the same for 20 years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And no, nothing's you know nothing stays the same for twenty years. It's time to think about it, and so we love being a part of that for nonprofits. It's very, it's very exciting, but it's hard to change events that have been around for a long time and to adapt them. But it it is time. We're seeing people adapt their events for a younger crowd. We've we worked with a client who actually I think is really phasing out a luncheon event and replacing it with an evening cocktail event that has a more diverse crowd, also men and women. It had been a very heavily geared toward women and and luncheons. Uh, this organization has recognized that they really want to, they want to reach male donors and a more diverse uh, group of donors. And they could do that during an an evening coupled event. And and so they aren't getting rid of the luncheon. You know, they recognize that that luncheon is really retaining some very strategic donors for them. And so they're keeping it, but it's, becoming smaller and more tailored to the crowd that it meets and freeing up resources to cultivate a larger group that is a part of the future for that organization. And the interesting part of that anecdotally that has come back to us is that that's actually helped them in their planned giving conversations. So that that older group sees a vital organization. So even though it might not be an event that they want to attend, they can recognize that it is, the type of nonprofit where they would like to give a planned gift because it, sh- it demonstrates vitality um, for that nonprofit. Mm,
0: so interesting. Yeah. Even if they're not going to show up, they still value that the organization is doing these other
1: strategies. Definitely. The first year of when our first event, Swell provides is a, is a heavy technology provider and the first smart party that we did, which is, it really is celebrating technology. And so it's the technology is is more in your face i guess is a way of putting it there and um and at that first event uh, one of the most strategic donors to that organization left quite a bit early and so we worried right because I thought oh goodness this is an important person to our organization but she went home and 30 minutes before the party ended donated a four digit gift online and i thought that was sort of the ultimate way of her saying i didn't stay But I like it um, and it's important. So um, and I think about that all the time and how that reinforced what we were trying to do as a nonprofit that night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's actually a great transition because before I let you go, I really want to hear a little bit more about your company and how you got started and what kind of work you're doing with nonprofits these days.
1: Sure. Thank you. Well, I started swell because I was involved in event fundraising as a volunteer, and I had been involved with a group for 16 years. And we had, we canceled our event because we were in that category of, we don't need this event. We can fundraise without it. And indeed, we could fundraise from that group without it. And then three years later, I was sitting at the same board table as chair of that board, and we were bringing an event back. Mm. And I thought, what are we doing? <laughs> And that was really the catalyst for me thinking about what we were trying to accomplish with the event. Why are we doing it? What are we measuring? And realize that in order for us to achieve what we wanted to achieve, this was six years ago now, that we needed technology to do it. And so I had built a piece of technology to run an event for that nonprofit. And it was great fun to do. It was totally out of passion and implemented this software technology for that nonprofit event. And that's when the donor acquisition piece revealed itself to me. I'd love to tell you that I knew that going in, but it was in the post event that we saw all of these new names and emails and realized, oh, wow, it was successful. It looked successful because of the top line revenue number. But when we loaded that data into the system, it realized that the real value was in the data and the new donors we'd brought into that organization. And so, and that's where Swell's Roots um, are. We have worked with over 75 events this last year, implementing our technology for luncheons and dinners and cocktail parties. And at its core, what it does is it attaches a peer-to-peer fundraising process with the tickets so that everybody at an event can fundraise if they choose to do so. It also means that because of the technology, we can easily put a giving tool in their hand to give on site. And then we put all the results on a screen during the event so that people can enjoy the fundraising real time. That transparency in the numbers and the giving is what helps create that culture of giving I mentioned earlier. And so what I've always tried to do with the software is to try to recognize the goals of an event and then reward the people who participate in an event for achieving those things on your behalf. And so and so that's what we do. We do some handholding. We do some listening. We do a lot of coaching on technology. And and I would tell anyone um, with regard to those hurdles to change. If I had a dollar for every time a nonprofit director said, I'm not very tech savvy, I would not need to have a company. Um, They we hear that every day. And we say, of course, you're not. That's the person the tech company that you hire should be tech savvy. And that's who you rely on. And I always try to say, we work for you, the nonprofit, and they don't need to be tech savvy. And we're always their back door for a question and, and try to be that. So and I would say that with any company that you work with to look for that quality, that you know that you're gonna get the answers when you need it, that you'll be resourced um, in that in the way that you need to be resourced, because then you can focus on having fun and feeling confident and showing that confidence to your consumers constituents. And we just think that psychological quality is so important. And so we do that and enjoy it. I obviously love it. It's fun to do.
0: It sounds fun. So how can people connect with you? Where can they find you?
1: They can find me. I have a Twitter handle. It's at BHAM Battle, B-H-A-M-B-A-T-T-L-E. And there I try to talk about events and nonprofit trends, Occasionally, a little bit of my family might poke through <laughs> on that, but, um, but we're all people. So that's Beham Battle. We have a Swell Funds Twitter account that's at Swell Funds. S-W-E-L-L-F-U-N-D-S. Um, they actually don't let me run that account. So. <laughs> so people who are smarter at Twitter run that. And, um, and, I, and it's funny internally now. Um, you know you're growing as an organization when your marketing director asks you not to get on your own Twitter account. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And then my email address, I'm always available that way and on LinkedIn. And I'm just Brooke Battle. I'm easily found there. And then my email address is Brooke with an E, B-R-O-O-K-E at swellfundraising.com. And I would welcome hearing from anyone on any of those channels.
0: Excellent, and we will link to all of those channels as well as the wonderful party versus fundraiser blog that you mentioned earlier uh, in the show notes.
1: Yeah, that's a fun one. I sort of wrote it out of frustration, actually. I have to admit, (laughs) (laughs) I was watching someone, a nonprofit I care about, was throwing a party, and it was. I was. Sometimes you write a blog post because you would like to make a phone call. (laughs)
0: Brooke as we as we end the podcast is there any last minute uh, advice or wisdom that you want to leave with our listeners
1: just keep your chin up I feel like the I know the earth is moving quickly under nonprofit staff especially if you've been in the nonprofit space for 20 or 25 years which many of our many have and many directors have certainly and so I just say keep your chin up and and recognize that yes things are moving fast but uh, you're moving faster and you can so that's all I'd like to say is to keep doing the great work that they're doing and we really admire our nonprofit clients and um, and really love seeing them step out of their comfort zones and have success and uh, we know that all of your listeners just by being here will do that so Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You too. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on This Fundraising Life. Remember that you can find show notes and links to more episodes at thirdspacestudio.com slash podcast. We really want to hear your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at thirdspacestudio.com and let us know what questions you have and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. And if you haven't yet, download this year's donor data at thirdspacestudio.com slash IDBproject.